0: Welcome to the Get Fit Guys, quick and dirty tips to slim down and shape up. My name is Ben Greenfield, I'm the Get Fit Guy, and in today's episode, you are going to discover part one of a special two-part series about how to control your blood sugar with exercise. In last week's episode about how to do a strength training routine with just one single set of dumbbells, and that was episode number 279 at quickanddirtytips.com. I mentioned that one strategy I use to avoid getting fat or experiencing big spikes in blood sugar from a meal is to do some basic strength training with a dumbbell prior to eating because that activates specific sugar transporters responsible for taking up carbohydrate into muscle tissue. Well, this is actually a very important topic since not only are type 2 diabetes rates rising both in the United States and globally, but so are a host of other chronic disease and weight issues directly related to high blood sugar. Characterized by insulin resistance and chronic high blood sugar levels called hyperglycemia, type 2 diabetes can lead to things like neural and metabolic dysfunction and is also a significant risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Well, when blood sugar is chronically elevated, the insulin released by the pancreas becomes progressively less effective in bringing blood sugar levels down, and ultimately, pancreatic tissues begin to suffer damage. Now, Grant, there is some evidence, and I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, episode number 280 at quickanddirtytips.com, that shows that that pancreatic damage can be reversed with some lifestyle and food strategies. Now, although blood sugar can slightly rise in response to things like stress, hard exercise, or long periods of sedentary time, blood sugar most typically rises most significantly after a meal, and studies show that these post-meal or postprandial hyperglycemic spikes are the most likely to lead to vascular complications, especially when compared to elevated fasting glucose levels. So when it comes to controlling high blood sugar, your body has two choices. Get rid of the blood sugar as potential energy via uptake into the muscles or store the blood sugar in fat tissue. So in this two-part series, I'm going to give you four ways to control your blood sugar without it simply getting partitioned into fat tissue. You'll learn how to get rid of stubborn carbohydrate-related body fat and even reduce your risk of diabetes based on the latest medical research on exercise and blood sugar. And of course, I should begin by clarifying the fact that I am not a physician. And this isn't to be interpreted as medical advice, so please talk to a licensed medical professional about any chronic disease or health conditions related to high blood sugar. Now before discovering why certain movements and exercise strategies can lower or stabilize your blood sugar, it's important to understand how sugar gets transported into muscle in the first place. The entry of glucose into muscle cells is achieved primarily via what is called a carrier-mediated system, which consists of small protein transport molecules. One of these molecules is called GLUT1, G-L-U-T-1, and it's normally found in the sarcolemal membrane, which is a sheath that surrounds your muscle fibers. It's also thought to be involved in glucose transport under basic resting, non-active conditions. Well, when the hormone insulin gets released by your pancreas, which is something that can happen after a large meal of either protein or carbs, glucose transport can be accelerated even more because that insulin upregulates the activity and the number of yet another sugar transporter called GLUT4, which, just like GLUT1, is found in skeletal muscle. It's also found in cardiac muscle and in adipose tissue, and helps GLUT1 transporters get even more sugar and storage carbohydrate into these areas. So think of it this way, insulin causes fat cells and muscle cells to soak up energy. And if your muscle cells are already full, which is often the case without the strategies you're about to learn in this article, then most of the energy winds up getting converted and driven into fat cells. But here's the amazing thing exercise can upregulate glut glute 4 transporters, just like insulin can, without an actual release of insulin from the pancreas. That means fewer chronic disease risks related to constant surges of insulin, and a higher likelihood that carbohydrate and protein energy from food gets partitioned into skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle rather than into adipose tissue. Exercise can even increase not just the activity, but also the number of glute 4 transporters you have available. Of course, as you probably already know, physical activity can do much more than just play around with your sugar transporters and can also mobilize fatty acids from your adipose tissue or your storage fat to be used as energy. It can increase your sensitivity to insulin when it does get released and cause a host of other extremely helpful metabolic adaptations that make it really the most powerful drug on the face of the planet or at least one of them. So let's look at four highly effective ways to maximize these blood sugar controlling benefits of exercise, shall we? Now, blood sugar control strategy number one is to strength train. Before diving into strength training, it's important to understand the concept of something called glucose threshold. What the glucose threshold is, is it's the point at which sugar output and uptake are in balance. If you're above the glucose threshold, then your glucose levels rise and you have high blood sugar. And if you're below the glucose threshold, your blood sugar levels fall or stay the same. Now, when it comes to this glucose threshold, research has found that when you strength train, the ability to drive glucose into muscle tissue from strength training occurs. And thus your ability to cause a decrease in your glucose threshold can occur when you lift weights. And it can be weights that are as low as 30% or slightly lower of your single repetition maximum. That's surprisingly not that heavy or difficult and means you can control blood sugar and upregulate sugar transporters with even lighter body weight exercises. Let's take a closer look at the study that found this. In it, Test subjects, both diabetic and non-diabetic, overweight, middle-aged men with some resistance training experience were assigned to a low or moderate intensity exercise protocol. Both protocols consisted of a weight training circuit of three sets of 30 reps of six basic weight training exercises, leg extension, bench press, leg press, lat pull down, leg curl, and seated row they recovered for 15 to 20 seconds between exercises and for a full two minutes between circuits. Now, they used pretty light weights, about 23% of their one rep max. That was the low-intensity group and about 43% for the moderate-intensity group. Then the researchers measured blood sugar and something called RPE, or Rating of Perceived Exertion, in both groups, both between sets and every 15 minutes during a two-hour post-exercise resting period. Now, the subjects also ate a 285-calorie breakfast two hours before the test. Now blood sugar levels in the non-diabetic subjects fell initially during exercise, then rose after exercise. And that's typical since the body releases some sugar into the bloodstream to support exercise. That's a process known as glycogenolysis. And then the blood sugar levels leveled off again. There's no surprises there. Now, in subjects with type 2 diabetes, both the low and the moderate intensity circuits lowered blood glucose, and surprisingly, the low-intensity circuit produced lower glucose levels, along with a lower rating of perceived exertion and less metabolic stress, and this should be particularly relevant to people who are just beginning a blood sugar management program or exercise, because it means that even a single session of low-intensity exercise at a pretty easy weight offers significant benefits for blood sugar control. Now, before leaving the topic of strength training for blood sugar control, it's important to understand that the heavier and more intense your strength training, especially if you're already fit, the more rapidly you're going to deplete your muscle and your liver glycogen levels, and the higher your post-exercise metabolic rate's going to be. That means the greater your blood sugar control can be. So eventually, you should progress to heavier workouts and heavier strength training strategies. But it's important to realize even lightweight training suffices for basic blood sugar control. All right. Here's strategy number two, pre-breakfast fasted cardio. Now, a study in the Journal of Physiology suggests this second potent strategy for controlling blood sugar, especially in response to a meal, exercise before breakfast in a fasted state. Now, in this study, researchers in Belgium recruited a bunch of healthy, active young men and began stuffing them with what would be considered a pretty poor diet, with about 50% of processed, unhealthy fat. And we're not talking extra virgin olive oil and avocados, but more like soy and lard. And they also gave them 30% more calories than the men had been accustomed to consuming. Now, a portion of the men, the control group, didn't exercise at all during this experience, and the rest of the subjects were assigned to one of two exercise groups, working out four times a week in the morning by running and cycling at a pretty hard intensity for 60 to 90 minutes. Now here's the kicker. Two of the groups, the control group, and just one of the exercising groups were fed a big carbohydrate-rich breakfast. Now, in the case of the fed exercising group, this meal occurred before exercise, and then they continued to ingest carbohydrates in the form of a sports drink during their workouts. But the second group worked out without eating and drank only water during their training. The researchers did, however, make up for this abstinence of calories in the second group by matching that second group's energy intake with that of the first group, by giving them a big breakfast later on that morning after training a breakfast exactly comparable in calories to the other fed groups big pre-exercise and during exercise portions well they did this for six weeks and at the end the non-exercising group had not surprisingly packed on an average of more than six pounds of fat Furthermore, they also developed insulin resistance, meaning their muscles were no longer responding to insulin and weren't pulling sugar out of the bloodstream efficiently, resulting in the storage of extra fat in adipose tissue and within muscle. And the men who ate breakfast before exercising gained weight too, although only about half as much as the control group. Surprisingly, just like the control group though, they also became more insulin resistant and were storing away a greater amount of fat. Well... Only the group that exercised before breakfast gained nearly no weight and showed zero signs of insulin resistance. In addition, their metabolic rate changed in such a way that they also burned the fat they were taking in far more efficiently. Uh, That's called a higher rate of fat oxidation. And the authors concluded that the exercise training in the fasted state is more effective than exercise in the carbohydrate-fed state to stimulate glucose tolerance despite a hypercaloric high-fat diet. Well, what was one significant characteristic of that pre-breakfast exercise group? You guessed it, increased levels of that muscle protein I mentioned earlier, GLUT4, which, as you may recall, is responsible for insulin-stimulated glucose transport and plays a pivotal role in the regulation of insulin sensitivity. Now, one last note here. Should a 60 to 90-minute pre-breakfast exercise session seem daunting to you, you should be aware of another study review entitled The Impact of Brief High-Intensity Exercise on Blood Glucose Levels. And in this study, researchers investigated the effect on insulin sensitivity and blood glucose from a relatively small amount of high-intensity exercise, just 75 or 7.5 rather, to 20 minutes per week. They found that two weeks of sprint interval training increased insulin sensitivity for up to three days after. after such an exercise session. They also found that 12 weeks of near maximal intensity interval running for a total exercise time of just 40 minutes a week improved blood glucose to a similar extent as running at a lower aerobic intensity for 150 minutes per week. In type two diabetics, they found that a single, high intensity exercise session improved postprandial, that's after a meal, blood glucose for 24 hours, while a two-week high-intensity exercise program reduced average blood glucose by 13% at 48 to 72 hours after exercise and also increased GLUT4 transport protein expression by over 350%. These researchers concluded that very brief high-intensity exercise improves blood glucose one to three days post-exercise in both diabetics and non-diabetics. So there you have it. When it comes to blood sugar control, there's no need to hop on the treadmill for a full epic hour and a half before breakfast. You could just do brief high-intensity exercise. And in the show notes for this episode, episode number 280, which you can find at quickanddirtytips.com, I'll not only link to all this research, but also to a big article I wrote that reviews some of the best, most up-to-date workouts and research on what kind of exercise counts as high-intensity just to make it easy for you. Now, that's all for now. But next week, I'm going to dive into two more potent strategies to control your blood sugar with exercise strategies. But in the meantime, if you have more questions, you want to pipe in with comments, go to facebook.com/getfitguy and you can join the conversation there. That's facebook.com/getfitguy. And until next time, I'm Ben Greenfield, the Get Fit Guy. Asking you, what are you waiting for? Go get fit!